Joey Degada, mate, it's just you and me today, once again, back and forth, having a, a little chit chat about property. How you been, mate? Yeah, been really good. Been really good. Um, really excited for today's topic. Uh, one that's quite interesting. It's often kind of gets headlines whenever there's a, a bit of a hot market. So I'm um, really looking forward to it. Do you want to give the listeners a bit of an insight as what we're going to be chatting about today? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's spot on. It's something I often hear all the time and there's a lot of confusion around some of the terminology. I mean, some of it's quite similar, but um, it's really about how a, how a property is listed on the market or not listed on the market. So there's three main phases. Um, the first one is sort of the traditional kind of all what we know is is on market. That's, you know, where you're seeing a property that's actually listed on a listing website or something like that. Then we've got two other things that we'd consider. Um, one of them is a pre-market. I'm not going to go into explanation of that just now because <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. And the second one is off-market. And, and these are the two that I that commonly hear, you know, utilized together or one and another. And, and for a long time, I even thought that they were the same thing. Um, but there's a pretty key distinction between the two of them. Joey, do you want to sort of maybe explain both of them and how they differ? Yeah, I think um, you're, you're dead right in, in that those two phrases are used uh, almost interchangeably and probably for the wrong reasons. A um, little bit of misconception in the market or maybe even a little bit of marketing spiel from an agent or, or whoever you might hear that's throwing around these terms or off-market this, off-market that, um, when it, in fact maybe they're just a pre-market listing. Um, so it's really in the those two words that at the beginning of each of those phrases off versus pre um so the pre-market as it suggests is like a, a glimpse of a property before it actually goes to market so one that was always forecasted to go to market um maybe an agent put it out to um, a select few buyers on their database previous people who've inspected similar properties whose names and email addresses and phone numbers that they've got or a buyer's agency database or um a blast out on one of their social media profiles for argument's sake, but um, a property that was ultimately going to make its way to market and still might make its way to market. So um, for example, let's say a property is scheduled to go on one of the main um, property portals in three weeks time. Uh, an agent might be getting some photos done. And then the week after they got some photos, the, the raw documents, they'll, they'll shoot it out to a database or post it on social media, whatever it is, uh, and then see if they get a little bit of interest that way. Uh, so that there is, is the definition of a, of a pre-market, but is often referred to as an off-market property. So um, I kind of get uh, my being, a, it really doesn't sit well with me, that that, that phrase, because it's um, definitely overused and, and incorrectly used for that circumstance, because it's not really an off-market property. It's a pre-market because it was going to go uh, on the main portal. So we're obviously how that differs to an, an off-market or a genuine off-market is one that was never going to make its way onto those um, property platforms, the, the, the two big key players that you're all well aware of. So um, how we might see them, sometimes the same circumstances. So, so sometimes an agent will uh, hit, very likely they'll, they'll use those same platforms to try and attract that audience, uh, but these were never going to make their, ways, their way onto the portals or um, even more um, uncommon, I suppose, or and more favorable to a buyer is say, for example, you uh, pretty close with the 
neighbor of yours or someone that lives down the street or in the adjacent apartment to you that you might be renting or whatever it is. And you actually buy that direct through that person. Now that's a proper off-market deal. Um, that's gotten zero agent involved. Like that's a, that's one that was never going to go to market or had no intention. There was no agent involved. That for mine is a proper off-market property or um, is weird and abstract and wonderful ways that you can go about doing it. But that one there, and, that, and that's the real kind of key difference. And I hope I've been able to clearly demonstrate that. Does that make enough sense to you, Jordan? Yeah, no, I think you're spot on and you kind of nailed it on the head there um, about the confusion between the two. And, you know, if, if you got it wrong, like I did for so long, don't blame yourself. You know, I, I actually blame most of the, the real estate agents and I, I can say that because my dad is a real estate agent. Um, but, you know, th there's a key distinction there where they may have a property that a client sort of um, does or doesn't know if they want to actually put it onto the market, but is probably going to go there anyway if they've engaged a, a real estate agent and then they kind of fish around this, this property as a, you know, quote unquote off-market property. Hey, you know, I've got this new off-market. Do you want to come and see it? Um, and, and really all they're doing is, is, is trying to get a bit of a, a price gauge around what, what they might be able to sort of list it for on the market before they do actually take it for market. So they're, they're trying to identify what the interest might be. If there's no interest, maybe they want to get a quick deal done. If there is some interest and, you know, some, some sort of indication of what people would pay for it, you know, it makes their job a little bit easier and they can sort of get that number right. So um, really key distinction there. And, and I guess that's why there's so much confusion out there about the, the difference between the two, but they are actually very different. Um, Joey, can a, can a real estate agent actually have a complete off-market property or are we just saying a hard line in the sand there, no, you know, no real estate agent or, um, you know, really has to be bought from a friend of a friend or a family member or something like that? Oh, look, I think that I wouldn't say never. Um, obviously, the 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 genuine off markets are extremely rare. Like in the circumstances that I explain now, like how often do you hear that someone buys a property in that fashion? Uh, it's definitely going to be quite uncommon. But to to answer your question, I, I think that and and I've seen in the past that real estate agents have had genuine off market properties, um, whereby that they've they've got their hands on a listing and it might be for a, a magnitude of reasons. You touched on a couple there as well. It might be an, an ex, uh, exclusive client of theirs that doesn't want their property padded all over um, the, the, the two big portals for privacy reasons. It might be a, a divorce. And, and again, they want to keep people want to keep things uh, behind closed doors. So for those reasons, some of those properties may never make their way online and, and, and therefore it might genuinely be, uh, an off-market property, but I think for the vast majority, it's particularly in the heated marketplace we see ourselves in now, it's kind of become another marketing tool, right? Like people go, oh my God, off-market property, I, I really want to get my hands on that. Um, so then like, the agent's drumming up so much interest because this uh, air of uh, exclusivity or um, rarity to it that that people maybe kind of want to over-invest and, and really search and search and try and find something, this the off-market golden goose, um, so to speak. So. I, I particularly right now, I think that it's kind of a, a hyperinflated and, and used as more of a marketing tool rather than a, a genuine avenue to try and sell property. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on there. So I guess that, I mean, that's kind of sort of from, from the buyer's side of things and how they potentially look at a listing and where they might be able to find it. But if we sort of flip that on its head and sort of look from a, from a seller's side of things, I mean, let's go through some of the reasons why you know, people would go through the different ones. I'll, I'll, I'll get us started on the on-market stuff. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a few different ways you can list on-market. 
Um, obviously, the, the two distinctions is, um, you know, they're either going to auction or buying by private treaty. Um, they're probably the two main ones that you commonly see. And I guess the reasons, you know, someone would, would want to go to auction on a non-market property is just that competitive advantage. You know, there's kind of a, a line in the sand on when that property needs to be sold. Everyone's very hot and emotional on the day and probably being reactive and, you know, wanting to sort of see what the competitiveness is out there. And so, you know, on a property that's highly desired or, or has some, some proper demand behind it, and, you know, there's at least two or three or four really serious bidders there who are competing against each other, you know, that's probably where you have an outcome where you could probably get the best price um, at that point in time on the market. So if you've got a, a really good property with some good competitiveness behind it and, and people are willing to, to purchase it or, or you know there's a lot of demand around for it, generally, you know, going to, going to auction is going to get you the, the best result on a, on a certain deadline. The second type, which is, which is that private treaty, is really where, um, you know, people sort of don't necessarily want to go to a, an auction. Maybe they kind of just want to put it on the market and see how the property is going to perform. Maybe they've had some interest or just want to see what that interest is. You can you can switch it over too. Like you can go private treaty and then decide you want to go for a bit of an auction down, down the line as well. But um, sometimes just, just doing private treaty can, can deliver a result in even a timelier fashion. Um, you know, we hear things of like prior to auction selling um, as well, which can happen. Um, but, you know, private treaties can get listed on the market, can be on there for a week and then and then get sold. I mean, Joey, you're probably in the action a little bit more than I am on, on those two things. Have you got any sort of high level overview or, or perspectives on, on either of those? Yeah, I think it really comes down to where you are as well. So like obviously, as, as most of the listeners would know that um, Sydney and Melbourne, a really strong appetite for auctions. It's just kind of been the historic nature of uh, those two cities and, and how property or particularly in demand property transacts. Uh, Brisbane less so, um, but definitely starting to change, particularly for those really desirable properties, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, and I know that ACT is kind of starting to shift towards that way as well and, and moving from a usually private treaty city to a to an auction base. And But again, that's probably signs of the times more, more in terms of how heated the market is right across Australia uh, and how much demand that there is. And as you mentioned, the, the more demand that there is, the, the more likely a vendor would be to, to go to auction. As, as agents usually say, all they really need is two people interested in the property uh, and the game, it's game on, right? So it's, it's definitely the right conditions to go to auction. Um, but as you mentioned there, like equally private treaty has its place. Definitely in some cities in Australia, it's the more preferred method and the more common method. Um, as a as a seller and a buyer, I mean, there's there's arguments to be had as to which one's more transparent. I, I, probably an auction is more transparent in terms of where the market value is at, um, is in because obviously the, the property is worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Um, but at the same time, like, is that the actual value of the property, particularly in a hyperinflated market, um, an outrageous result achieved at an auction? So there's some arguments to be had both for and against there. And as you mentioned, like particularly now, like what I'm seeing here in Sydney is essentially 99% of the properties are all all listed with an auction date. And then a vast, vast, vast majority are selling prior to auction. Uh, Again, that's most likely due to the current lockdowns that we see ourselves in. Um, But some properties still going online, still doing Zooms and, and whatnot. 
uh, but lots of property here in Sydney are, are listed with an auction date and then selling prior to auction. And as you can imagine, for an extremely outrageous price that we see ourselves with the market that yeah that we're currently in. Um, and then, as you mentioned, um, all, all, yeah, not only buying prior to auction, sometimes an auction can be held, unlikely or very rare happening in, in the current times that we see ourselves in now, but uh, with an auction scheduled and then the reserves not met, and then a property is bought after auction. So either later that day, later that week, um, and again, that, that property then moves from being an auction property to for sale via private treaty if it's uh, the day after the auction. So then often you'll see that that property didn't end up selling on the day, and then all of a sudden there's now a price tag uh, that the vendor is asking for that property. Yeah, it's funny. You can kind of flip between the two, right? Like you can have an auction and then it's by private treaty after you can have private treaty. And, you know, even though they wouldn't necessarily call it an auction as per se, you can still have a bit of a, a bidding war on a private treaty. You know, they might sort of shoot a text or an email around to everyone who was interested and say, oh, you know, we've got this price of X. And, you know, if you don't get back to me by the end of t- tomorrow afternoon, um, that the property will be sold. And, you know, that can even start a bit of a, a bidding war if there's two or three interested parties who want to sort of go a little bit higher and a little bit higher and a little bit higher. So although there's a lot of, you know, de- definitive technical names for these things, um, really it's all around enticing people to sort of negotiate and, and bid on property. Um, yeah, reason- I think just, sorry, John, I just think that like apart from a very few circumstances that, that there's no real one way that needs to be done. Um, one thing I just wanted to like, make mention of is, if, for example, there's a um, deceased estate and there's lots of beneficiaries uh, involved, then that property more than likely will need to be sold at auction. Again, not every single deceased estate must go to auction unless it's being kind of uh, governed by the state that that property needs to. Um, or, or, yeah, again, sometimes, particularly in New South Wales, a trustee and guardian can have a court order that a particular property needs to go to auction. Uh, but very rarely does a property need to actually go to auction or vice versa, um, private treaty. So it can, as you mentioned, um, go either way. And and I just want to call out there as well, just because a property is a deceased estate, um, plenty of people kind of throw their hands up in the air go, okay, well, then it needs to go to auction. That's not always the case. So just make sure that if you're in the hunt and you're looking, just quiz the agent, just ask them if that is something that's of interest to you anyway. Yeah. Great point you've mentioned there. And I guess that kind of transitions us into the next type. If, if you're on the selling side of things, about my, why you might go for, you know, a pre-market sale. I think for me, you know, there's, there's, there's a few circumstances where this can happen. Either someone, you know, doesn't want to sort of fork out the money to um, run a full, full campaign um, or, you know, they kind of don't want to wait for that time horizon of you know four four or five weeks for an auction campaign to, to sort of roll out they kind of just want to see what's happening now is there anyone who's interested if so what sort of price point and can we get something done pretty quickly without having all the, the bangs and shebangle um don't know if i said that correctly <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah so it kind of it's kind of just sort of fishing around if there's an interested party who has the sort of right price maybe they'll just get a sale done without having to run through um, significant timeframes. If they need to get something done pretty quickly and happy to sort of drop on that, that price or something that technically we'd call vendor discounting. 
Um, if they can drop their price a little bit and just say, hey, you know, I want a deal done, I'm happy to drop the price a little bit, but let's get it done today. Um, that, that can speed things up, especially if they've got conditions that are quite favourable, like, you know, settlement periods, cooling off periods, all that sort of stuff. Someone's cashed up and ready to go and can meet those, those criteria. Sometimes a deal can be done pretty quickly and you don't have to sort of fork out all those additional expenses to running a, a full online campaign. Um, Joey, any other sort of touch points I missed there on, on pre-market? Yeah, I think there's a couple, um, particularly like right now, we, we might be seeing a few uh, adventurous or, um, yeah, adventurous might be the right word, vendors just looking to uh, entertain the idea, like what would I fetch if I was to consider selling my property, um, particularly if an agent has sold a, a quite similar property recently and very likely they got uh, multiple underbidders who'd be willing to kind of have a crack at something similar. So again, just testing the waters, putting their, dipping their toes in and, and just seeing what they, they might fetch. Um, and then really importantly, and it's one that lots of vendors take into consideration is uh, if they're not entirely sure, as we kind of mentioned before, what, what the market feedback might be. Um, it's a really good way of just, again, as I mentioned, they're just testing the waters and seeing what the appetite for their property would be without and here's the, here's the key point, without putting the property and exposing it to the wider market, therefore tarnishing it. So there's nothing worse than putting your property on the market and let it sit there for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 weeks because automatically people who are actively looking just scroll straight past it. Oh, it's been on the market for so long, there must be something wrong. So it's a really nice and easy way for them to dip their toes in the water, get a bit of feedback. And in the, as you said, if the price is right and if the conditions are right, um, then they could move it. And then on top of that, there's, other factors, like as, as we kind of mentioned before, there could be um, divorce uh, and other kind of family factors like that. And, and on top of that as well, people don't, well, not necessarily, I don't really know anyone that would love to just open their home up twice a week to the wider public. I mean, when we could do that anyway. Um, so keep, uh, vendors with young kids just quickly let one or two people through the home and do a do an off-market deal or would they want to actually go through the the annoyance of opening a property on a Thursday afternoon and then on a Saturday every week for four weeks. Um, some people just like the convenience of doing it in that sense. And then also if um, a vendor has committed to a purchase, so they've already bought something and they quickly need to, as you kind of mentioned, their timeframes, if they quickly need to try and move their product, um, they can't really afford to wait to have photos done, styled, painted, and then wait a proper four-week campaign after that. Just quickly get someone through um, showing the property how it currently presents and get a deal done. Yeah, that's just a great touch points. And obviously, you know, you're you're on the ground and sort of see this stuff happen all the time. And even on the on the last point, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've even sold a, a property off market. Yeah, correct. Like I mean, and that was a that was a genuine off market, right? Like so selling to um my brother. So therefore uh, wasn't really exposed to the market. No one really knew about it type of thing. And, and he was able to pick something up um, behind closed doors as well without heated competition. Uh, and then again, myself, I was able to kind of buy something off market. So a property that wasn't going uh, to ever, I don't know, it might've been part of the vendor's consideration at some point, but it definitely wasn't on any platform. I actually went out of my way and and sort that property out myself direct through them. So um, I've, I've kind of been a part of both the sale and, and the purchase side of a, of a genuine off-market, but they, they definitely are rarer because you're kind of relying on relationships and, and actually knowing someone who's living behind those doors or someone who's going to buy your property directly. 
Oh, that's that's really good. I, f- I forgot about that purchase you made off market. Yeah, so, so you've been on, on both sides of the equation. So t- talk to me a little bit about how, how that process works. I mean, for someone who, you know, is sort of buying their first property and really didn't know about what the stages of, a, of buying a property looks like. I mean, it's pretty typical to engage a, a real estate agent and go, hey, can you buy this property for me? But can you can you buy a complete off market without engaging a real estate agent? What what does the process look like? You know, do they still have to get conveyances and solicitors to draw some stuff together? Um, and what about like sort of due diligence and stuff like that as well? I mean, obviously they're going to have to do some due diligence in there. How did that process look for you when uh, maybe on the on the buying side? Yeah, look, it's probably the occasion where you need to rely on the conveyance the most, right? So. Um, often at the process has been triggered off by a sales agent, rather right? like they, they'll often put you in touch with a conveyance or you might already have one, but they're an integral part of the process. So if we remove a, a sales agent, all of a sudden, yeah, like we are kind of all standing there looking around, scratching our heads. And that's when we really need to make sure that we've got a good quality conveyancer to, to actually lean upon because they're the ones with the experience and, and the know-how of how to put um, a deal like that together. I mean, if they're if they're an experienced conveyance, they, they should have done one. I mean, it was obviously quite common. I can imagine 10, 20, 30 years ago that properties would have been more likely to be exchanged and traded in, in that fashion. Um, so as the listeners probably meant, already know that my old man is a conveyancer, so I was able to leverage his expertise and, and assist us in putting that together. Um, essentially, it's it's all the same processes that, that are involved. As you mentioned, the due diligence still needs to be covered off. A contract of sale needs to be prepared. But instead of having a, a, a sales agent on the front page of the contract, it's it's not there. That, that field is just left blank. So it's just an agreement between the vendor and the purchaser. And obviously, both sides, conveyances, details are on the property. Um, and look, in terms of covering off your due diligence, like, building inspections and, and valuations to be done by lenders and whatnot. It, it's um, a little bit more hands-on, obviously, because you don't have a sales agent who you can um, call upon to coordinate and liaise with in order to try and uh, gain the appropriate access and whatnot. Um, but the end result for me was, um, yeah, amazing personally. Uh, and so it yeah, doesn't, it's got its pros and its cons, but for mine, the pros far outweigh the cons as a, as a buyer and potentially for a seller. Um, there's obviously plenty of ad- advantages to be made in that way because they've got a, a deal done, one, behind closed doors if they didn't want that public knowledge. And then secondly, and most importantly, without all those fees, because it can be quite expensive, like a marketing campaign can be between five and $10,000 styling the property could be 10, 20, 30, who knows how much, happy, depending on how happy the property is. And then the real kicker is the agent's commission, which is really anywhere between kind of one and even up to like two and a half percent of the sale price. So there's some serious savings to be had from a vendor's side. Yeah, no, there, there's some really good points. And I, I guess, you know, if you're sort of thinking, oh, how would I buy off market or I need a real estate agent or you don't, and that's, you know, but it, but it is really important to rely on, the, the other, you know, third parties that you're engaging for that process. I, I'd sort of say, you know, if anything, the due diligence is, is is always important, but particularly important if you're sort of buying without any sort of guidance from, from the real estate agent or anything. I said, not that they usually help out with, um, you know, organising a building pest inspection. <laughs> I definitely like liaise with the clients, make sure that um, they can get opens and all that sort of stuff. So just try and keep a really open and honest communication with, you know, the vendor at that time and 
ensure you get that due diligence done. Even if it's a friend or a family member, I, I, I couldn't recommend it highly, highly enough to just ensure you've got all your, your, your ducks lined up in a row, um, as awkward as the conversation might be. Um, but yeah, really relying on those, those third parties with conveyances and everything else like that, they're going to be able to do most of that heavy lifting and groundwork for you to make sure that things are, are getting done. The real estate agent is really there just to, to, to get the sales done. And, and if you can get it without, you know, having to do all that negotiation piece and then making a sales commission and everything that Joey just mentioned, I, I think that's super critical. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a really key distinction about the three types um, of, of market listings. Um, there may be more in the future and I'm, I'm sure we'll cover them off, but I think, I think we've covered most of our ground there today. Um, Joey, if you were to buy a property today, what would be your favorite method out of those three? Uh, or if, wherever possible, if you could find a genuine off-market, that's always going to be appealing. Uh, and then it'd probably go a pre-market and then an on-market prior to auction would be the way that I'd like to go in the current market conditions. Take it back two years ago, then I'd be saying 100% go to auction. Um, it simply comes down to firstly where you are and then secondly, what the, the market dynamics are in, in that marketplace. If it's a heated, heated market and you're a buyer, an auction might not be the most favorable condition, um, but if it's a, a cooler market where, you, where you're looking to buy then, and a property is going to auction, then 100% I would be attending that auction uh, because you might be able to jag a bargain, which is a word that isn't really thrown around and hasn't been thrown around in the last eight or so months, or definitely I haven't heard that in, in 2021 at all. <laughs> and I think you're spot on there. You, you, you know, these market cycles really do happen and there's different, there's no sort of one best fits all like i can't say if i was going to sell a property i'd always go to auction you know it really depends number one on what area and state you're in that joey mentioned earlier you know all these states and have different sort of styles and other ones are slowly getting to do auctions where beforehand they pretty much all just do private treaty whereas no one in sydney are pretty focused on the the auction side of things as well and so all markets do go through their cycles and you know, there's no sort of one one perfect glove that fits every sort of market and state and condition and everything else like that so really comes down to um, the individuals and sort of where they're at and, and what they're after and how that market's performing. But yeah, if you, if I was in a sort of a heated market, I definitely want to go for an off market if I could, but you know, if I, if I think a property is going to pass in, I'd rather see the vendor in a bit of a pain after the, the property's just passed in and try and snag a bargain, as they say, um, <laughs> after the auction. But Joey, mate, I really, really appreciate your insights today. You're, you're obviously um, well adversed in, in this stuff and, you know, you're on the ground every day walking through and do, doing these types of deals and talking to agents and everything like that. So I really appreciate the insights today, mate. No, mate, as, as always, it's a wonderful to have a chat and yeah, when it's one that's really close to heart, you'll definitely hear me starting to ramble on a little bit more, but yeah, one I'm super passionate about and I just love the kind of intricacies and even the, just the, the mind games that are at play um, between vendor and buyer and the kind of, as you mentioned, the different market conditions that might change that and, and the psychology behind property. I just think it's a super interesting topic. So um, yeah, always love the chat. All right, listeners. Well, thanks for listening today again and uh, we'll, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks guys.